Welcome to The Institute, a podcast on the lives and work of fellows and friends of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Philip Hollingsworth. In this episode, communication specialist Melissa Clay speaks with Stephanie Elizondo Greist, assistant professor of creative nonfiction. In their conversation, they discuss all the agents and saints, dispatches from the U.S. borderlands. They also talk about an influential magazine that helped Stephanie find her narrative voice. I'm very excited. Congratulations on your latest book. Please tell us about it. What is the title? When did it come out? I'm excited for you. Yes, so this is a project that has taken 10 years to create, uh, a 10-year book project. Uh, It started in 2007, and at that time in my life, I was totally nomadic and had been for a year at that point. And I had become, I'd taken that really drastic decision because I really wanted to live exclusively as a writer and live solely for my pen and quickly found out that the economics of that are almost impossible. (laughs) So I put my stuff in storage and I uh, just started living on the road and I was living at writer's colonies. I was speaking at universities, promoting some previous books. And I had actually been away from my hometown. I'm from South Texas. Um, I grew up about 150 miles north of the border. And I couldn't get out fast enough. I was thrilled to leave. You know, I went away to college and I never looked back. But I began returning to South Texas uh, in 2007 when I was totally nomadic. And I began to notice uh, how radically the borderland had changed. It was such a peaceful, quiet area. That's how I perceived it anyway. Growing up as a child, I thought it was really sleepy. I thought it was boring. That's why I wanted to leave. And then by 2007, it was suddenly this major international news story. The drug war had just started a year prior in Mexico. Um, there were uh, between ten and 30,000 documented deaths a year during the initial years of the drug war. Uh, a lot of that chaos was infiltrating across the border. There was a situation where South Texas became the foremost crossing ground for undocumented laborers coming across mm-hmm. the United States, and many began to die um, not far from where I was from. And that was really stunning to me and tragic to me. And uh, trained as a reporter, I started taking notes and taking notes and taking notes and taking notes. And soon I really began to get quite involved in this this ongoing tragedy, this ongoing catastrophe happening in my borderland, uh, not only with things such as immigration and the spillover of the drug war, but also from these environmental these terrible environmental stories that I was learning about. Uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, is surrounded by 15 miles of uh, petrochemical Hmm. refineries. And a lot of the communities living around it were slowly being poisoned. And uh, just story after story after story I was encountering, and I began to write them all down. And so for several years, it appeared that the book was going to be about life in the South Texas and what it means to live between nations. Then in 2012, I was really lucky to receive a fellowship uh, at St. Lawrence University for a year, to teach for a year there. And St. Lawrence University is 18 minutes from Canada. It's at the New York Canadian borderland. And soon after I arrived, I realized that it was the St. Lawrence River Valley, which was the scene of a movie that I, had, that I was quite astonished to behold called Frozen River. And Frozen River is about the Mohawk nation of Akwesasne. That is a very small, an acreage, uh, a small nation, only 26,000 acres, uh, that is sandwiched between not only the United States and Canada, but Ontario and Quebec. 
And the movie was about smuggling, human smuggling on this nation. And I realized that was a 40-minute drive away, which was quite astonishing. So right away, I started going, driving down to Aquasazni. was really lucky to meet a lot of Mohawk who were very, very open and receiving of me, especially when they found out that I was also from the borderlands. And I began telling them about all of the incredibly difficult circumstances that we were enduring in South Texas. And they were like, yep, happening here too. Yep, 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 we got that too. We got environmental discrimination. Yes, we have racism. Yes, we have um, border patrol agents completely policing our borders. Yes, we have this, we have that. And uh, it was quite shocking to realize we were living these exact parallel existences. Uh, and also, um, I came to realize that there was no way this was coincidence. And so I began taking notes, taking notes, taking notes. And 10 years later, that has resulted in this book, All the Agents and Saints, Dispatches from the U.S. Borderlands. UNC Press published it just two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm about to launch a, a pretty major national tour. I'll be touring all fall with the book. That's wonderful. Congratulations again. And you you did you were finishing up the book when you were a faculty fellow. Yes, yes. I was incredibly lucky to receive a faculty fellowship here at the IAH, and that was indispensable to the completion of the book. Uh, it was by the time that I was a fellow here, um, I was definitely at the point where only deep, deep, deep focus would actually get the job done. <laughs> it wasn't something that I could write in between classes, write in between teaching, write even even during summers and other breaks. Uh, it was something that required exactly what, I, what the IAH gave me, which was, you know, a full five months of complete, complete focus and study. And what kind of feedback did you get on the manuscript when you were in the fellowship? Well, Stas gave me the name of the epilogue, The United States of In Between. <laughs> so that was uh, very helpful. And uh, yes, there were definitely, uh, my colleagues had some really powerful insight. Actually, all, I remember one pointed out that gerrymandering has sort of created its own border. Uh, so so to, take, to take border, not, not just think about it in terms of international border lines, but how many borders we create. Hmm. Uh, also, when I was uh, a fellow, so was Susan Arbage Page, and she and I had actually worked together on the border. Uh, she's an artist, a visual artist uh, and conceptual artist who has for 10 years now been collecting the objects that undocumented workers leave behind in the crossing from one nation to the next. Uh, So actually, one of the chapters in my book is about the two of us going down to the valley, and I'm walking along beside her as she's collecting the objects. That's wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) We are, it's August right now, and, and the academic year is about to start, and two new groups of fellows will be meeting this year. Do you have any advice for them on how to use that time? Things you may have learned from your own experience as a fellow or other leaves you've taken? I mean, in a way, you would like to say don't put so much pressure on yourself, but but there is sort of an inherent pressure because you may you won't be ever receiving that type of sacred time uh, many times in your career. So it is such an intense gift. And so I guess just to view it not as a, not as um, approach it not with a stress of, oh my God, I have to do this and this and this, but just as a gift, which it is, a gift of time, a gift of companionship, a a gift of colleagueship, um, a gift of camaraderie, a a gift of exploration, a gift of having a community that will feed you very, very well every Wednesday (laughs) and just give you a lot of love and respect and attention and really take your work seriously and it's permission to do the same. So the title of your book is All the Agents and Saints Dispatches from the U.S. Borderlands. 
How did you come to that title? Would you believe it was actually a typo? <laughs> there oh, really? was a day when I was <laughs> I was actually transcribing a prayer, a Catholic prayer. I am a Catholic uh, called the Confitor. And there's a line from it that says, all the angels and saints. And it's something that you say in Mass every time you attend Mass. And so I was typing that out, and I accidentally wrote the word agent. And I had been searching for a title for this book for like seven, eight years by that point. Uh, I only had very lame titles that nobody liked, including myself. (laughs) And this little electric current just shot through my body when I realized I had you know, my subconscious had created the title through this act of prayer, which was kind of amazing. I see agents and saints as being on the opposite spectrums of the protectorates of our nation's borders and borders in general. And so this was a way of honoring them, for better or for worse. This is who we have. We have Catholic saints that are observing us, and we have um, agents that are monitoring us. It also speaks to the duality of the book. The book is looking at the militarization and also the spiritualization of our borderlands among our indigenous people, the Tejanos and the Mohawks. And even further, I feel that the word agent is really interesting if you think about agency and who has agency and who does not have it and the inequity between the two, which you see quite starkly in our borderlands as well. That's excellent. I mean, I I love the title um, because of the way that it sounds as I say it, but then mm-hmm. to hear all of that, that's, that's fascinating. That's awesome. Thank you. Are you teaching this semester? I am not. I am on book tour. Awesome. <laughs> book tour sabbatical. <laughs> yes, I am hitting the road. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I also want to ask you, because you're an author, what is a book that changed your life? I was a huge reader when I was young. I did not have much exposure to literature. So I was reading things like The Babysitter's Club and Sweet Valley High Books and Judy Bloom and uh, yes. Beverly Cleary. <laughs> and uh, so I did not do any highbrow reading uh, whatsoever. But those books were informative. What actually changed my writing voice and actually gave me a sense of possibility was actually a magazine that came out briefly, and it then went through many sad, terrible iterations. Uh, But the original magazine, as the creators intended it to be, was fantastic, and that was a magazine called Sassy, Sassy Magazine. It was indeed Sassy, and the narrative voice of the journalism was really unprecedented in my own reading life. I mean, I only at that time knew journalism as what my parents read in the Corpus Christi Color Times. Um, And this was radically different from that. (laughs) And I knew National Geographic magazine. Also, Sassy magazine was radically different from that. And and my sister read, you know, magazines like Seventeen and Cosmo, and it was radically different from that. I mean, this was really uh, oriented exactly to my age group, you know, 14, 13, 14, 15-year-olds, and it was, you know, you take to life on your own terms and you you engage in, in sex, drugs, rock and roll when you are ready to do so and if you feel like doing so, but you are totally cool if you don't. And it was really, um, you know, there, there were articles about the body. It was written in first person in a very, very revealing way that I think gave me the comfort to do so myself. My book is very, very candid. My book is very revealing. I'm very, very vulnerable on a page. And I think it actually came from reading Sassy at the moment I was most vulnerable myself when I was a 13-year-old girl. That's wonderful. (laughs) Thank you. Check back at ih.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. 
You can find all our episodes of the podcast on our website, as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at IEH underscore UNC.